Welcome to the A-Game Podcast with Nick LaMagna, digging into the minds and experiences of some of today's brightest entrepreneurs in real estate and business, along with Hollywood stars, UFC fighters, and your favorite rock bands. People that have figured out how to overcome obstacles, take chances, live boldly, and no matter what they do, they always bring their A-Game. Ever wanted to play the drums? Or do you want to get your kids some drum lessons to burn some of that energy while they are all locked up? Take advantage of a free drum lesson with one of the tri-state area's most respected drummers, Dan LaMagna. Dan LaMagna has played in such bands as Crown of Thorns, Suicide City, Biohazard, The Real Mackenzies, Sworn Enemy, The Walls of Jericho. He has played all over the world and he is also endorsed by such companies as DW, Vader, and Sabian. Dan has taught Tons of people from all different age groups and all different music styles. He can teach adults, kids, advanced, beginner, any types of styles from metal, all different types of percussion, whatever style you want. Get a free drum lesson today from Dan. All you need to do is text the word DRUMMER, D-R-U-M-M-E-R, to the number 833-482-0167. Again, text DRUMMER to 833-482-0167 for your free drum lesson. Hi, my guest today, and a lockdown edition of the A-Game podcast is David Perret. David Perret is a United States Marine, a full-time real estate investor, a father, a lot of really great stuff. So we connected on uh, Facebook, and I was actually just reading up on you, and you are the founder of From Military to Millionaire, if I'm correct, right? That's the website? That's it. Awesome, man. So I was looking over your bio. I was looking over a lot of the stuff that you've done. I appreciate you giving me the time today. I know you were... In uh, sunny San Diego, so if there's some places to be locked down, I guess that's one of the better ones. So um, I'll let you just do a quick intro on yourself, and then I have a whole bunch of points I'd love to definitely dig in. But uh, tell everybody about yourself, and definitely, most importantly, thank you very much for your service, man. I've uh, had a lot of interaction with Marines on the jiu-jitsu mat and in the business world. They're just some friends of mine, and every time they introduce me to another Marine or I meet a friend of theirs, they're always some of the most outstanding people. So... I'm sure you and your circles are no different, and uh, thank you for your service, and I appreciate your time. Hey, I appreciate that, brother. Thanks for the support. I, uh, I'm actually looking forward to getting back to, I say back to rolling. I haven't done a whole lot of jujitsu. It's been more uh, like wrestling and just, you know, being a knucklehead as a kid, you know, trying to think I was tough. But uh, I, my goal, so I had knee surgery in October, and one of my buddies, we've been doing some some just hitting the bags and stuff, and I'm, I'm looking forward to finally getting to roll and go do some jujitsu seriously over the next few months once I'm cleared. So uh, there's definitely a spirit there amongst us Marines that enjoys, uh, I guess, tuss, tuss, wrestling, I don't know, grappling, fighting, you know, whatever, however, whatever cultured way of saying, getting your ass kicked. Um, <laughs> anyway, so yeah, David Bray, been in the military now for 11 and a half years, uh, a logistics guy by trade. I've seen the world, traveled around, done all that fun stuff, done some uh, combat tour in Afghanistan and, and uh, it's been a good time. And then in 2015, someone handed me the book, Rich Dad, Poor Dad, and it kind of something clicked. I started reading a couple more books. Three months later, I owned my first house as a rental property, a house hack. So I did a duplex. I bought one half or bought a, bought a duplex, lived in one half, rented the other half. And then uh, you fast forward four years, bought and sold 54 units. And I'm a partner on a fairly large syndication, big apartment complex purchase that closes in uh, eight days seven days six, ooh, six days Woo, coming up close and 
yeah, doing some fun stuff. And really what happened, I just started blogging, documenting what I was doing, trying to learn as I went. And I guess it resonated with people that I wasn't trying to sell a bunch of crap so much as just talk about what I was doing. And, and I have no problem talking about all my failures as I go. And it's kind of blown up. It's, uh, um, it's been kind of crazy to see how it's how much reach this thing has gotten and how many awesome connections I've gotten out of it. So it's been a lot of fun. That's really cool, man. And one of the things I've found is the when you have somebody doing well in a circle, I found that I guess MMA, jiu-jitsu, police, firefighters, military, civil service in general, they tend to be more supportive when one of their own breaks out. And they, instead of getting down on them, they, they really tend to involve each other. And I found that definitely with the Marine Corps. So that's cool. And again, with logistics, one of my uh, former business partners, Tony Rosenbaum, I was telling you about, he was on the same base as you. He was in charge of logistics and he was doing a lot of the stuff you were doing of trying to help give some financial literacy and some opportunities to people that are in the Marine Corps. So I think it's an awesome thing that you're doing, helping other people, trying to enlighten other people. And, you know, it, I know the term life after baseball, but, you know, while you guys are sitting there and you have that time, like you said, your shifts now are like 24 on, 48 off or vice versa. So it gives you some downtime. So if you can start to build some type of portfolio of assets in the background, when you guys retire, you can have a really nice thing set up and you really have a good life after baseball because I know sometimes it's a little bit of a tough adjustment. So I very much applaud what you're doing. And I think your whole tagline, man, says it all from military to millionaire. I think it's a beautiful thing. I think it's catchy. I think it tells the tale. Oh, one thing I definitely want to talk about, because I always ask about how people get into real estate. And whenever I have students or people that are talking to me about getting into it, some of the people I always say when I go, well, what do you do? And they go, oh, I'm an engineer. You're going to do great at this because you know how to just follow a system and not mess it up. And the second people that we say that to is always military. Military does great because they understand systems and they understand protocols and you don't vary from the system. You follow the steps because if you do, it could be somebody's finances or somebody's life and all those things. So, I mean, that, that whole class of people, I think, really is just set to follow this type of thing. But um, tacking on to what you said, the first book I ever read, wrote, wrote, read, first book I ever read about real estate was really, that's what really opened my eyes to it. And I remember my mom followed me around and was telling me, read the book, read the book, read the book. And I wouldn't. And then I finally did. And I started opening it. It really caught my eye. I was like, man, 70% of all millionaires made their money through real estate. And you don't really need your own money. You don't really need your own credit. And I started learning about it. And that's what really opened my eyes to getting into real estate. So how did you find that book? What made you first start to look into real estate? How long did it take you before you actually started doing something from reading the book to taking action? What was your journey into real estate from the military? It's funny you mentioned that because as soon as I brought this book up, uh, my mom swears that she tried to get it, me to read it for years in high school. I don't remember that, but I'm sure she did. And I, knowing how much I loved reading, uh, I'm sure that's why I don't remember her telling me or reading it because I didn't. <laughs> but uh, ironically, a friend of mine, a guy named Tyson, who I've tried to find to like thank for this, but uh, apparently he made some poor life decisions down the road and is not reachable at the moment in his uh, confinement. But um, <laughs> He, he was trying to get me into uh, Amway, right, to sell some, some network marketing, you know, whatever. And I was a recruiter for the Marine Corps at the time. So I was like, oh, yeah, you know, I can do that on the side. Um, you know, I'm already doing sales. Why not? Uh, until I realized that it was very much just like him hounding me about what I did that week. And I'm like, dude, I'm still a full-time recruiter. Like, I don't have time for this right now. I was hoping I could do like an hour or two, not like four hours a day like you want, I, I, you know. 
But in that week or two that I was dabbling and, and deciding if I wanted to do that, he told me I need to read Rich Dad Poor Dad. And I was, I kind of, I like distinctly remember joking and being like, oh, I'm a Marine. I don't, I don't like reading. Like, don't, don't bother me with that crap. I ain't got time for it. And he pulled a CD out of his pocket. And he's like, well, I got it on tape, you know, CD, whatever. And I know you drive a lot. So just listen to it while you drive. And I listened to it. And then next thing I know, I'm downloaded Audible. I've listened to, I think the next two books or a lot of the Rich Dad Poor Dad series, the Purple Library. But I think the next two books were uh, the book on rental property investing by Brandon Turner, Bigger Pockets, and another one by him, uh, the book on uh, investing in real estate with no and low money down. And I wish that Audible would tell me when I first finished Rich Dad Poor Dad, but it can't have been more than three months. I think it was October, November, and I closed on that first property December 28th. So it was very quick, but it was quick, not necessarily because I'm some incredible genius as much as my apartment lease was coming up. So it was either renew for six months or do it now. And I lived in Missouri, so it was super affordable. So I was like, you know, it was like a bunch of things lined up. Like I, my motorcycle got totaled. So I had a check that was enough for the down payment because I was using the FHA loan. And because my lender talked me out of the VA loan, which is ridiculously terrible, but uh, so I, anyway, so it was like a whole bunch of things just kind of hit at the right time. And I was like, I have money. I learned enough. I have to move out anyway. I might as well just buy a place. If it goes terrible, I'm only paying like another $75 more than the apartment was anyway. And uh, man, doing it though was eye opening. It, it worked and it was crazy. I love that, man. And uh, again, I think a big piece of what you're doing is there's such a need for it because sometimes it's by necessity, but I love that you actually took action with those things. And at the end of the day, everybody always asks about, hey, what's the secret sauce? And it really is just that. It's taking the knowledge that you have and implementing it instead of reading 50 more books or going to 30 different seminars to get the magic pill. It's doing something with the information that you have, which again, you know, Marines are, are big for taking action. So I do think that that's an awesome thing that most people don't do now. Um, you definitely said that you use the FHA loan and, and you made me bring up a question that I, I originally didn't plan on asking, but I get a lot of people that ask me about using VA loans to invest in their first properties. I don't know a ton about it, obviously, having no military experience. Very familiar with FHA. For people who don't know that, it's a really great strategy that people use that you can buy something. Duplex, triplex, fourplex is a, one of the strategies to do. If you have decent credit, you can get in for 3.5% down. It's a little bit of an easier loan. Um, you know, for instance, a lot of people will do that with fourplexes and they'll have one of the units as their primary for a year, rent out the other three, then move out and do it again. So it's a way to start to roll those things over. But um, comparing that, it sounds like you used the the, uh, the FHA loan for your first property, which is a great way to get the, the ball rolling. But how does that compare to VA loans for investors? I'll try to roll with the baseball analogy you used earlier. The FHA loan would be like if you're a collegiate baseball player and you get drafted to play in the minor leagues. That's awesome, right? Like, that's great. And I have several friends who did that, and that's incredible. I have one friend who got drafted straight out of college to pitch in the major leagues. So the playing in the minor leagues is great until you compare yourself with the one guy who made it into the major league. So the FHA loan is an awesome option. Like, I can't really – I mean, I say it was a mistake, and honestly, it probably cost me ten grand comparatively – but it's still way better than a lot of other options. The biggest downfall to the FHA loan is the private mortgage insurance that you have to pay because you're paying under 20% down. And so you pay this PMI, which is, yeah, I don't want to spit the numbers, but it's like around one or 2% uh, 
of the total loan amount, depending on some variables. So for me personally, on my duplex, it's like $81 a month. Not that bad. But that's $81 a month that doesn't go towards principal, but I have to pay anyway. Whereas the VA loan doesn't have that because the 20% that you would pay down is backed by the Department of Veteran Affairs, the Fed. So there's no PMI. So I mean, right there, your payment probably ends up being less, even though you put zero down. Because I mean, realistically, zero down buys 3.5% down. Unless you're buying a $10 million property, the down payment's not a huge difference on your principal and interest. But the VA loan is offered for active duty veterans, uh, you know, service members, there, there's a couple different criteria there, but essentially what it does is it allows you to purchase a real, uh, a property, a primary residence for zero down. And to, now that in January, they actually removed the limit, like the max that you can take out with this loan for your first purchase. After that, there's still some limits and variables. Uh, but I mean, that's crazy. So to put this in perspective, one of my young Marines that I work with right now just purchased a $1.1 million triplex in San Diego County that is going to, while he lives in it, he might have to pay like a thousand dollars a month, but when he moves out of that unit and rents it, it'll cash flow. Not, I mean, it won't make him like thousands of dollars a month, but it's going to break even and some change in his pocket while paying down principal on like a $6,000 mortgage. And he bought this thing, $1.1 million. And this is a, in his twenties, zero down, Got fifteen thousand back at closing. Didn't have to make his first payment till June or till May first. And anyway, like it's just crazy to think like that's some insane purchasing power. The bank literally just gave you one point one million dollars at a. I mean, and he paid. I think he's at three point one two percent fixed interest rate. I mean, it's just an incredible deal. And I'm like, this is his first purchase. Now, there's obviously things that can go wrong with over leveraging if it's not a good deal. You know, but if you get something solid like that, I mean, even if he's breaking even, he's paying off two thousand, three thousand dollars a month on every mortgage payment down on the principal. And that's just pretty crazy. So the VA loan is awesome if you if you're eligible and you buy the right property. Uh, it has to be a primary residence. You have to intend to live in it for a year. There's a whole bunch of stipulations. Uh, honestly, if you want, I can give you the link. I have like a five thousand word article on it because there's just so much stuff people don't understand. Yeah, that'd be awesome. I can post it on the show links for people that are interested. I appreciate that. Yeah. So we won't talk all day about that. There's some nuances, but if you compare them apples to apples, uh, the VA loan definitely wins in, I'd say, 90% of the categories over the FHA, but they're both better than a conventional mortgage. So, yeah, I mean, that, that VA loan, it sounds like one of the only ways that you can actually get in and find a way to break even in a California market like San Diego, because that little bit on those loans at $1 million, that stuff starts to add up, you know, and that's. Again, you know, people always ask about strategies. If you're going to live somewhere, it's always a little bit different. But people that want to invest, when we look at, which I'm going to talk to you about in a minute, investing in like a 10 unit that you bought in Missouri versus a million dollar triplex in San Diego. Yeah, the California real estate is always going to be a great place to live. It's probably always going to continue to appreciate. But buying a triplex for a million dollars, the thing that scares me of that, having invested prior to the first crash, and watching how all of a sudden you can't hit that anymore. If you don't have the cash reserve set aside and those two people move out, you have to make sure that you can cover a pretty hefty mortgage, at least until you get somebody in there. And I saw a lot of people when real estate was good, kind of like it is right now that everybody's really quick to get in and they're not really doing a lot of the research and they're taking those low money down loans and they're buying these properties. And then all of a sudden, they really don't have the reserves to sustain it if something goes wrong and then they can't make those payments. So. You know, there's always the, 
like you said, I, I always want to know not necessarily everybody's wins, but I like learning from people's mistakes and people's losses because sometimes until you hear that, it's just something you can't even think about or you didn't even think to ask. So that's just something I learned from, from doing those types of things too. So um, parlaying off of that, I, I really always love to hear, it sounds like you did live in Missouri as well. So being somebody that was in the military, you've been all over the country, you've been all over the world. So it's not as crazy for you. But when I was investing, I started in 2005, 2006, around there, living in some place and investing someplace else that you've never been, everybody thought was crazy. It's just what I've always done. And I did it again by necessity because I couldn't really afford to invest in New York. I didn't have the the experience or the contacts to really compete with those types of returns. So it just sounded safer to go invest in Georgia or Detroit or Missouri or North Carolina or one of these other types of markets. But what's becoming cool is with social media, people are starting to see that, hey, Springfield, Missouri, Kansas City, Missouri, Indianapolis, all these different places when they're watching people do their Facebook lives and post stuff and at concerts, they're seeing, hey, it's not just cows and, and tumbleweeds. There's actually normal people there just like me with the same bars and the same restaurants and the same type of people. And people are pretty cool everywhere. And these preconceived notions of stuff sort of changes. So obviously you being in those places changes a little bit, but was there anything aside from you living in this market in Missouri that made you invest there? And what's your philosophy now? Cause I see you're spreading out a little bit on markets you're going to, to invest. How are you formulating where you're picking your investments being that you have experience living and investing a little bit all over? Mm. Good question. So for one, I would say you were a lot crazier in 2005 than you would be now uh, because like you mentioned social media, but I mean, technology, the, the world is right. You can reach out and touch someone across the world. Right. Uh, I mean, it's, you can, I mean, I can literally FaceTime my real estate agent and walk through a property with them or have someone bring one of those 360 cameras in and legitimately like click through and walk through a real, a real estate investment. And, and I, can't even say it was sight unseen because I've seen the whole damn thing, but I've never been in that state if I really wanted to. I mean, I have friends that invest in, I had a friend out here who's in four, maybe five different markets now. And I mean, I know he's been to all of them, I think at this point, but he lives in LA and none of them are close to LA. Uh, so it's very doable. And I mean, some of these guys are doing, you know, lots of deals. So it's, don't let the fear stop you. It's all about building a team. And it's the same things that you would do if you were investing in your backyard. It's just, you might have to do it via a phone call and a you know video call or a trip over there once in a while, as opposed to doing it next door. When I, when I hear people talk about markets, I like a couple different things. So the reason for, I guess the first piece, uh, the reason I stayed with Springfield is because it meets a lot of my criteria. It's familiar. I'm, I know the market. I had a really good team and I, I'm going to retire there. So it just makes sense, right? But I'm open to opportunities wherever. I mean, I, I helped flip a home. I kind of partnered on a deal in Oahu when I lived there. I'm, I don't own here in San Diego, but the house I'm in, I Airbnb bedrooms. So I've got uh, actually two guests checking in today that'll, so I'm not living for free, but pretty close to it here. Uh, and I've done some stuff out here. I'm open to whatever, as long as the numbers work out. The deal, the big apartment that I'm a part, uh, partner on, that's in South Carolina totally different market. I actually really like the market the more I look at it. Uh, the, the biggest thing for me, the two biggest things, depending on your style of investing, are team. If you have the right team, then the market, honestly, if it's a decent market, you'll be good. The team is the most important pe people, people, people. You're in a people business, not a real estate business, right? Like real estate's great, but it 
doesn't work without the right people. Case in point, I had a contractor who'd been referred to me, seemed like a really solid guy. Really, I think he is genuinely a really solid guy, but he overextended his business, imploded. I was the Peter that got robbed to pay Paul, and I'm scheduled to close that property here in uh, nine days, and I'm going to lose $30,000 just trying to get out from under it because he he did some really shoddy work and some stuff that needs to be redone and took a bunch of money and just a whole bunch of things that went south and all of that could have been avoided. I mean, there's obviously things that were uncontrollable, but had I had, I don't know, my, my property manager doing more consistent walkthroughs. I mean, there were people related things that I could have done from afar that would have totally mitigated that. And I own that and it is what it is. Um, And that was not necessarily the wrong person, but the wrong situation surrounding a person. And I didn't know it. And if I'd known more about a situation and realized how much he was kind of reaching, then I probably would have gone with a different contractor. Problem solved. But anyway, so people, 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 because um, the real estate, the deal was solid, but it doesn't matter. All that to say, if you're going to pick a market, the few things that I look for most, one is population growth. If it's, you know, I want to see like trending around 1% up every year, if not more for the last few years, you know, you find a market like Northwest Arkansas, that's almost doubled in population in the last decade. And I'll take that over somewhere like Detroit, which is a much bigger market, but has just done this for the last two decades, you know, uh, next factor, and this kind of coincides with Detroit as well is economic uh, and diversity. So I don't want to see like Detroit. I mean, I, I don't know enough about their economy, but a lot of people use them as an example. Um, their biggest thing was the auto industry. And when some of those places moved or, or whatever, it saw a decline. And I'm sure there's a lot of other factors. It's not that simple, but I like to see, so like Springfield has, they have a uh, fast pro shops is headquartered there. O'Reilly, uh, 3M has a manufacturing plant, Kraft cheese, uh, prime trucking. I don't know. There's, there's a bunch of different, you know, uh, and then they have a huge, they have three colleges, one or two private, one Missouri state and uh, two major hospitals. So they've got a very large uh, education, medical economic economy, uh, some manufacturing, some logistics, a little bit of, uh, you know, recreational um, auto industry. They've got a little bit of everything. And so I want to look at not necessarily how much the economy is growing. That's important and how much it brings in. And that's important, but, diversity, knowing that, especially like right now, you know, if, if the only industry in there was auto or was, was uh, aviation, and that was the only industry that my town would be hurting right now, but there's an airport, that's not a huge economic factor. That's a piece of the puzzle. And so if that tanks, you know, whatever the hospitals are doing great. So uh, a little diversity there. And then the, the other thing that I tell people, and this is the biggest thing I can tell people, if you're looking for a real estate market, here's what people do. They look for the perfect market. They look for the perfect market. They look for the perfect market. They analyze, they analyze, they look for the perfect market. They do it and they get stuck in this rat race of what's the perfect market. Oh my gosh, I can't pick between these three. Look, if you went across the nation and you went to citydata.org and pulled all this data or wherever you want to do your research and you narrowed it down to five or 10 markets, throw a freaking dart at the wall and go with one. Because if you, if you narrowed it down to five markets out of the entire country, they're all great. Go, go with one, just make a, make a decision. And then as you, after you master that one, move into another one, if you want uh, my market, I love it, but the crime rate is ridiculously high compared to some other places. And if I had really analyzed deep into the weeds before choosing my market, that probably would have scared me off. Cause everybody says, Oh no crime, pick the right neighborhood and avoid it. 
uh, or, or just buy those cheap properties knowing that you might have to deal with some crime and, you know, help gentrify or whatever. Like there's always going to be something wrong with the market if you look for it. So just freaking pick one and go with it. It's anyway. a fantastic answer, man. You, you hit a lot of the key points that I constantly tell everybody. One of them being, you have to have the right team and the right deal. You can have a good deal and a bad team and it's going to go wrong. You can have a good team and a bad deal. It's going to go wrong. So both of them have to match. And um, to what you said is, I am a big believer now that I tell people I don't even really consider myself somebody who buys and sells homes. I consider myself somebody that just analyzes data because you can get all the data that you need. And if I'm paying attention to the data, I'm going to see the correlations. I'm going to see when things move. I'm going to see when things vary. So in your situation, I've had my problems with contractors. And I tell everybody, if you have not had a problem with a contractor yet, you have not done enough deals yet. It is 100% going to happen because of things like that. You might be doing everything right. Somebody else screwed them. They developed the drinking problem. They took money from your deal. They stopped, whatever it is. But I like to use uh, managers to come through there at least once a week to check on that project. So when those things do happen, if you find out two months in, you have a massive problem on your hands. If you find out four days that the guy hasn't shown up by doing things like putting security cameras in there, having somebody check on them, having them face them you from the property, like all those things, you can catch those mistakes and you have a bad day and it sucks, but you don't have a bad deal. And, you know, that's, again, part of the learning curve. One of the biggest things that I had to learn was not burying my head in the sand and being like, oh, I didn't hear from the guy for five days. I really hope everything's okay, but I mm. don't want to ask because I don't want to hear the bad news. You know, it's just one of those things. Um, and they get on the data and stuff. You look around and, you know, crime, but what type of crime? You know, you got somebody that people are getting in trouble smoking pot in the park it's a lot different than the violent crime the people getting the evictions and all that type of stuff so i think you're absolutely right with all those things you said and um again the, the throw a dart you know the the overanalyst of the perfect market the perfect market the perfect market it's, it's just not there find a decent market find people you can put in place manage your teams correctly because i always consider our, our, us managers i tell everybody you know um phil jackson's a great manager but it probably makes his job easier when he has Michael Jordan as one of his players. And mm. basically that's what you and I are trying to do is we're trying to find our all-star players to make our job look easier that we can rely on when we're doing this from afar. So I think that was all amazing information you gave. Uh, another thing that I really wanted to ask you about, because I feel like aside from over analysts and, and paralysis of analysis, accountability and discipline and finding that moderation is really something that people make excuses for. And you, you know, you have a lot of things, I'm sure military stuff comes up, things you can't even talk about, stuff that's on your mind, sidetracking, all types of things going on, but you're finding time for your personal health, you're finding time for your job, you're finding time for your business, you have kids, um, especially having the distraction of being in San Diego, where it's very easy to say, I'm going to sit at my computer and analyze markets and look over some deals, or I'm going to go to PB and I'm going to, you know, sit on the beach or go have some drinks, or, you know, every time I go to visit my buddy in San Diego... We pick me up in San Diego, we drive to Temecula, and every 20 minutes we're stopping at a bar. And it's like a Monday, Tuesday, and they're always filled. And I'm like, do people work in San Diego? He's like, nope, they hang out, they drink, and they're in the military. So how do you find discipline to really, when it's easy to hang out and every single day is 80 degrees and it's always easy to go on the beach and just hang out outside, find the time to manage your business and your family and really find that moderation that I feel like everybody's always struggling to find and they make excuses of why they can't do it. And you obviously are not. Well, for one thing, I realized uh, not too long ago how terrible I felt after a night of drinking. And uh, I won't say that I stopped drinking, but I have started to uh, legitimately moderate myself to, you know, a beer in the hot tub or, you know, two beers here and there. So that's that's been a help for sure. Uh, 
because man, I, <laughs> yeah, it's a, uh, it's a lot easier to reject going out to the bar when you're sober and, and told yourself like, nope, ain't in the budget than it is when you're already there and you're not doing anything the next day, uh, productive anyway. So normally, so this 24 on 48 off thing is like, uh, just happened on Tuesday and it's kind of just a reaction to bring less people into work and having less, you know, still keep the wheel turning for my job, which like you mentioned, I can't always talk about everything, but, um, I have a fairly, I don't want to say important role, but, uh, I do a lot of movement coordination for the West coast. So like if we don't show up to work, uh, it's, it's not a good thing. So we changed up our hours, but normally I work Monday through Friday, zero seven to like 1630, 1700, which isn't terrible, but I work in a windowless office with no cell phone allowed in the building, um, you know, and like 45 minutes for lunch. So like, you know, I might check my phone four or five times a day for like five minutes. And then, you know, when I'm in the gym and so I really have to be careful with that. So what I do is, I mean, first off, my first alarm goes off at three 55 in the morning which sucks. In fact, this morning I totally slept in like an hour and my gym partner called me and was like, Hey, so am I just getting a longer warm up this morning? And I looked at the time. I was like, son of a bitch. I was supposed to be at the gym already. I'll be there in 20 minutes, you know? Um, so it, it happens, right? Definitely not perfect, but I try to wake up at four every day and in a perfect world with a perfect day, four rolls around. I wake up, I, uh, journal for 10, 15 minutes about my goals and my plan for the day. I take a shower by four 30. I'm on the phone with my wife. If she's out of town for 20 minutes uh, right now. So I'm planning on getting out of the military. So she moved back to Missouri and took her old job back. So when she's there, then I'm on the phone at four 30 as she drives to work when she's not there, then she's asleep. And I just go straight to my office. But uh, when we get off the phone, I go in my office and I have about an hour and a half to uh, edit content, record content, do podcasts. I mean, I've recorded a, the earliest so far that I've ever recorded a podcast was three in the morning. Um, you know, so trying to get stuff done and then I'm off to work and I just know that I'm not really accomplishing anything. When she's here, I try not to do a thing in the evenings during the week. When she's, when she and the family aren't here, then I have uh, like mastermind, like coaching calls that I deal with on Monday. Uh, and Thursday, I do like Toastmasters, like speaking. Um, Tuesday, Wednesday, I'm either recording podcasts, editing content, or updating my blog. And then really the way it seems to play out is Saturday is just catch up. So I, I have just Saturday is literally just wake up and just pound away at stuff to try to feel like I caught up on emails and whatever. Um, in the uh, process of hiring my first like part-time uh, virtual assistant to really help with all the admin stuff. I have virtual assistants for editing, podcast, YouTube, uh, and writing. So I have a different one for each, each of those that I utilize, but I'm really trying to get someone to just like email management, respond to basic stuff for me and, uh, you know, help me with the social groups and stuff. But the, the biggest thing is time blocking and, and then planning your day out and just doing it. And so having the integrity to tell yourself, if I'm going to, I told myself I'm going to do this, so I'm going to do this. You're not going to be perfect but you need to set yourself a goal and, and do it. And so every night you, or every morning, when, whichever it is that you write out your goals for the day, like I'll look, I'll write out my goal for, uh, we'll just use uh, zero credit card debt by June 1st. That's one of my goals right now. Cause the whole house thing that I mentioned where I lost a bunch of money, um, I took on a little bit of debt there, nothing crazy, but my goal is to just have it all paid off by that date. So then I say, okay, what's the most important next step on that? It's either don't swipe my card, make a thousand dollar payment or finish my tax return because that'll pay it all off. Like, you know, whatever. So, okay. So which one's the most important next thing that I can do today? Great. Awesome. 
do that. So whatever that next step is. So if you're looking to get into a market, it might be meet a real estate agent. Okay, well then you need to message 10 different real estate agents today. And then the next day, now that you've messaged 10, it might be interview three of them. Okay, well now that I've interviewed three, the next step would be pick one. So just write out your goals and then just always every day, what's the next thing? Like what's the just the one thing that I need to do today to move the needle forward a little bit. And if you move the needle forward even 1% every day, that's 360% better because you're going to take some days off at the end of the year, which is, I mean, if I got a 360% return on an investment, I'd be pretty happy. So, you know, just make sure that you're always trying to move the needle forward just a little bit. Doesn't You don't need to crush every day. You just need to keep moving. I get a lot of questions from people on uh, wanting to pick my brain, wanting to ask me about what I do, how do I do it, all kinds of things across the spectrum. One of the things I try and answer back with is there's a few different ways that we can work together. People can either um, participate by being a buyer, being a seller, or being a partner, and that's really the best way to learn. So if people have questions that have reached out to me, the best thing to do is jump on www.nicknicknick.com, and you can schedule a consultation if you're looking to sell properties, buy part properties, partner on some deals, or just get a general consultation to see where we can even fit in and where we can do business together on any level, there's options for that to set some stuff up. So please visit www.nicknicknick.com to buy, to sell, or to partner on real estate deals or opportunities. That is the place to go. That is the best way to start making money and learning the process. That's awesome, man. Uh, Can you go a little bit deeper into your time block? Because I know that that's a term that not everybody's familiar with, that I, I've been better with like theme days and things like that, but time blocking is another thing that I've been experimenting with a little bit and sounds like it's working really well for you. Yeah, time blocking and batching are just huge. And I really can't wait until I'm, uh, not, I don't want to say I can't wait till I'm out of the military, but I can't wait until for that aspect, I'm out of the military and I'm able to truly create my schedule. So time blocking is literally just saying from this time to this time, this is what I'm doing and I'm not doing anything else. So for me, that might look like at, at 1900, I am going to record two YouTube videos from 19 to 20. And from 19 to 20, at 1900, I'm starting the recording. And by 20, they both need to be done. And my phone's in the other room. Like if, if, if I was to get a really important phone call right now, I would have to go out the office and into the bedroom because it's just not, I, I rarely bring my cell phone into the office, right? Things that distract you, you just turn them off and you do that thing. And then after that hour, you schedule in five minutes of I don't, whatever, I don't know, shotgunning a beer, whatever, whatever you want to do to just relax, check your phone, you know, whatever. Um, and then you have another time block. And so time blocking is just setting up like at this time I'm doing this and then sticking to it. Batching is what makes that really, really powerful, which is, that's the one that I struggle with being military. Cause I just can't like, I can't batch record podcasts. Like I would want to in a perfect world when I'm out of the military, what would happen is on Monday or, or Tuesday, whatever day of the week I choose, from nine in the morning to one in the afternoon or whatever that block would be, I would have like a four hour block or five hour block. And I would have four different podcasts scheduled. And so I would literally just roll in, record a podcast, record the intro next, record a podcast, record an intro next. And I would knock out four different podcasts, send them all to my editor and my whole month would be done. And that one day. And so what I, I do that for YouTube videos. So for example, last night I was going to record a video and I was like, ah, oh, man, that's a waste of time. Let me come up with another idea real quick. Great. Okay. Now I'm recording too. By the time I turn on all the stuff, even though it only took me like two minutes to turn on all the recording stuff and set everything up, 
just being in the zone to record one, it's so much easier to just hit stop recording, start recording and do the second one than it is to stop recording, send to editor. And then the next day, oh, now I'm going to do another video. And so batching and time blocking are just huge because if you don't have much time, it's not hard on say a Saturday morning. If you want people ask you, oh, well, how do you do all this? You know, I produce uh, three YouTube videos a week. Uh, right now I'm doing a fourth. I'm testing like just a the ones I did last night were basically I just put this thing in front of my face and wrote out a few bullet points on like current things that are going on and just talk about them. And I'm going to see if people like that, but they're very quick to knock out. People ask, how, how in the world do you do three or four YouTube videos, a podcast, a blog post, and all this other stuff while you're working? Well, the answer is that every Saturday, you know, assuming that I'm on a normal schedule every Saturday, I have two or three like angry Marine rant ideas that I'm going to just talk about. Those take like five or six minutes for me to just basically rant about something and why it's wrong and what you need to do to fix it. People seem to like the angry Marine thing. And then, uh, and then, you know, one or two articles that I wrote that I'm going to turn into a, a YouTube video and I will literally just record, I'll spend two hours and I'll knock out six videos. And then that means that I just, I just jumped, you know, two or three weeks ahead. And then if I miss the next week or two recording, I'm good. Like right now, I don't know if I pull out my little calendar. Um, it's what we're recording on March 19th and I have podcasts recorded all the way until April 24th. I have a YouTube video recorded until April 6th and my last angry Marine rant is, Oh, I just smashed the mic uh, is in two is in two weeks. So, you know, if I've totally bail this week and don't accomplish anything, that's fine because I've got, I'm, I'm a whole month out on my recording. So because I was able to just batch um, and then in the next week, I'm recording four more podcasts. So I'll be out into May and I've got a couple of videos that I'm going to do. So really it's just telling yourself like during this time, this is what I'm doing and how much of that thing can I fit into that time so that I can just push the needle out and not have to worry about that and move on to the next thing. I think that's awesome. And batching has been huge for me. I, I really just love it. Of You're in the zone to do that. So just do it. Obviously, um, a little off with that because of the situation with the quarantine. And I'm like, you know what, let yeah. me just spread out a little bit. And it's been kind of cool. But one of the things I'm struggling with as a podcast host, I don't know what your opinion is on this, but I'm going to be to the point by next week that I almost have too many. So I was doing one a week, but I'm finding that some of the ones that are now going to be six, seven, eight weeks out, the current events have changed so much that it's almost stale because it's mm -hmm. like, well, they're not talking about the corona. I'm like, who knows six weeks from now what the world's gonna look like. So yeah. I'm trying not to get too crazy with it. I'm thinking maybe while people are home, I'll do two a week or I don't know. I'm trying to trying to do that. But um generally, how far out are you are you stockpiling episodes? I guess because you said almost May now. So yeah, so it, I try to stay right around like the four to six week mark. But with how crazy things are right now, I'm pushing that for two reasons. One, my counterpart is out of the country. And there's potential for delayed returns, right? I can't say any more than that. Um, so I don't know if things get really, really, really busy at work, like they were originally going to before things kind of slowed down lately. Uh, I had to be that far out because I didn't know if I was going to have any time. I mean, for a while, at the end of February, I was working zero six to eight at night for like a week. And so, you know, in that case, there's, there's no way I'm waking up at four in the morning to record a podcast when I didn't even get home till nine at night. Like that's just not, not reality. 
Uh, it's possible, but um, I'm smart enough to know that at least some sleep is necessary to survive. So, I, you know, I'm, I'm intense. I'm not insane, I guess. But the so I, I've been farther out. But I will say that I have uh, three Wednesday airing episodes this month because I got kind of the same thing. I got pretty far out. I was like, you know what? We're just doing bonus episodes these three weeks. So, I, which is good that I have enough people wanting to be guests on my show that I'm having to tell some people no. But what I've been doing is I've been on Fridays. I have like my audience really likes service members and vets. I've pulled them a bunch of different times and they've always said just service members and vets, service members and vets. So every Friday guest, which is my main show since I made that decision last summer has been a veteran or active duty or reservist or whatever. They have had military experience and that's not going to change anytime soon. But I do have people that are very valuable to my community that, that don't, right? Like uh, I'll say Matt Faircloth. He was, he was one of my bonus episodes. No military background. Great, great dude. Smart investor. Might as well be a service member the way he acts and hangs out. Like he's just a really cool dude. You know, he's got the same persona, but he wasn't in the military. But I really want him on my show. So when he reached out, I'm like, yes, absolutely. And you're a bonus episode now. So uh, I've been just kind of finding ways to throw in extra episodes with valuable people that aren't service members, but also keep myself from being so far out. So I'm recording four next week, and there's a good chance one or two of them will just be bonus episodes so that I don't get more than like six, seven weeks out. Um, because yeah, I, I agree with you. Like if I'm talking, if I talk current events and current event right now is the, you know, the war on toilet paper. And then, uh, you know, by the time this airs, toilet paper ceased to exist and we're now using, you know, people are cutting paper towel rolls in half or, or maybe now. So people have so much toilet paper that the news story is, uh, toilet paper company going bankrupt because nobody buys its crap because they've got two years supply at home. You know, I don't know. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, it, you're you're absolutely correct. I, at some point, um, you're just like, yeah. I, I meant to ask you too. Do you know John Martinez? He's from Springfield. Not off the top of my head, but I mean, he's a big maybe. real estate sales coach guy. He's got hmm. a, a huge following over there. I'll shoot you his info. But um, I just came back from Springfield maybe six weeks ago. I was out there for one of his boot camps. He's hmm. he's a big name out there. He's got a lot of connections out there. He's probably a great guy for you to link up with. I think you would like him. Um, yeah. And then his, guy that just recently did my podcast that's a friend of mine that i was actually just out in hawaii with his name is solomon floyd he's oh i know doing, him he's doing such great stuff man with uh the military housing and the guaranteed rents stuff in oklahoma the government buybacks i mean he i was actually just talking to him today so might he be was, another good topic for you he was on my podcast uh last week his episode comes out wow. uh sometime in april um oh, that's awesome that's awesome yeah. he's, he's a good dude man we had a good time in hawaii he's a good guy um so another thing i want to ask you about um one, I definitely want to talk about the tenure and using the equity to put down, but touching on one of the theories I've been having is the way that people are starting to see that Oklahoma and Vegas and New York and Indiana is all kind of the same people. I mean, there's always exceptions, but for the most part, people are cool and the stuff that they see in the movies and like the clips that they're seeing on the news are really just what they want you to see. But overall, people are cool. People are people. Everybody's doing the same thing. Are you seeing that that's because because my theory is that that's going to grow and that's going to start to connect people worldwide and the visions that they're seeing of people out in Iran or, you know, wherever 
you're going to start to see more and more like, hey, people everywhere are just like me. And it's going to start to hopefully bring more people together. And their only source of what people are doing in these countries is based on CNN or Fox News. It's going to start to go away the same way like, you know, the Joe Rogan podcast is where most people go for their news now or for their political stuff. Are you finding being somebody that's traveled and lived all over the world that that is more of what it is, is people are kind of the same and life's kind of the same and people are cool and there's a lot of connections or again, your experience of where you're going and what you're seeing in those countries, you also might be seeing the worst of it all the time. So I'm not sure if you're the, the best gauge of that, but I definitely like to hear your opinion on it. Yeah, that's an interesting question for me because I would tell you, um, you know, I, I spent some time in Afghanistan and as much as I would volunteer to go back in a heartbeat, I would never vacation there, um, <laughs> you know, so, but that's, like you said, I saw some of the best, some of the worst. Some of those people were great. So I, you know, it's interesting because I am a, uh, you know, you know how like cultural appropriation is like a thing nowadays that people get upset about, like, oh, you're stealing their culture. Um, well, I'm like a, a cultural collector. I don't really know if that's a thing, but like I try to adapt to whatever place I'm living in as much as humanly possible because I enjoy it. So when I lived in Japan, I took Japanese for two years. Uh, I'm by no means fluent, but you know, I can kind of squeeze by and I was going to get a traditional like Japanese tattoo but I, I didn't have time I had to come home for something last minute and uh, by the time I got back I was done with my money at that time I didn't have the cash saved up for it to do both but I've not ever gotten that Japanese tattoo because there's something in me that's like nope not until I go back to Japan one day however when I was in Hawaii I found a local Hawaiian guy who did the you know hammer traditional tattoo and I have a full chest piece that's traditionally done uh you know, it very personalized. I can't even like publicly discuss what the symbols mean because he was like, please don't, you know, put it out there, which means that it could just say like, I'm a done white dude and I wouldn't care because I think it's really cool. Uh, Howley being the word they use in Hawaii for those of us less than local people. But, you know, I try to, I try to enjoy and, and uh, engage with the culture as much as possible. When I was in Afghanistan, they were making non bread by like slapping the bread on the inside of a kiln. And when it fell into the fire, it was done and you'd grab it out with tongs real quick and eat it. And that stuff was amazing. Um, you know, and like chicken and rice that you're eating with your hands. And so having seen a lot of the world, I would say, yeah, I'd say, man, like every culture is different, but like the Japanese people are awesome. The Afghanistan population has some really cool people. Hawaiian population is great. They say that, you know, locals hate Howleys, but I never ran into that. I think the, at the risk of sounding like a jerk, like if you go a whole bunch of different countries and everybody's kind of an asshole and you don't like their culture, uh, you're the asshole. Like just, just be a good person. Right. It's like the old adage, like if all, if, if, if one of your uh, subordinates sucks, then maybe he sucks. But if all of your subordinates suck, it ain't them, it's you. So I love, you know, I love traveling. I love different cultures. And I'm sure that there are instances where, you know, maybe we butt heads a little bit, but everywhere I've been and I've kumbaya. Now I'll tell you, like, I'd rather hang out in the Midwest than in San Diego with most people because uh, they seem a little bit more grounded and a little bit more, uh, independent i guess would probably be the best thing there less less government driven but people out here in san diego are still really cool um i don't know i think i think you're right i think uh you know there's a book that i'm about to read that my buddy keeps recommending called manufacturing consent it's all about how the media uh can i mean you you, you mentioned it you watch fox and cnn tell the same story 
and they're going to get you really fired up about totally opposite conclusions about the same story. And so being able to talk to people via social media or whatever can, can really open that up. I mean, my, I don't know, I guess final, final statement would just be like my writing editor lives in Birmingham. My video editor lives in like Poland and my podcast editor lives in the Philippines and we all get along great. And all of those cultures are totally different. And the one thing they have in common is we can all just be decent people. So I try to live my life by this and it's the greatest, simplest philosophy for everybody listening to your show. Just be a good person. I love that, man. That's great. You know, it's a, there's an old proverb that I, I tell sometimes that I heard that the guy is an old man on top of a hill and some guy comes up there and he goes, Hey, Oh man, what are the people like at the town at the bottom of that hill? Because I'm leaving the town that I was just in. I'm looking for a new place to live. And the old man goes, well, what are the people like in your area? He goes, man, in my town, they're nasty. They lie. They cheat. They steal. Terrible people. And he goes, that's the exact type of people you're going to find in the town at the bottom of that hill. Five minutes later, another guy walks by. He goes, hey, old man, what are the people like at the city at the bottom of that hill? And he goes, well, what are the people like in your town? He goes, oh, they're the best, man. They love each other. They help each other. They take care of each other. They're hardworking. They're honest. And he goes, that's exactly the type of people you're going to find at the bottom of that hill. So again, you, you choose to find good people there. You choose to find fun there. It's exactly what you're going to find. So I think that's awesome. And uh, on the jiu-jitsu side, I know we brought it up. You're looking to get back into it. You have some of the best schools in the whole country over there. And I have some direct contacts for some really good high-level black belts in San Diego. So um, I'll, I'll, I'll message you after with some of their information. I'll link you up with them. Really, really solid good guys right around Camp Pendleton where you are can really help you out if you're looking for some good guys to roll with. Um, and again, like you said, Hawaii, everybody's, I spent a lot of time in Hawaii, especially this year in Maui and Oahu and Kauai. And I went, I did jujitsu on all the islands. And it's for me, that's my thing. Like the way you're meeting other people on military bases. And I went in there and I walked in, I didn't know anybody and everybody took me in with open arms. And when we trained, they didn't try and kill me. Everybody was helpful. And it was cool, man. I, I, I love Hawaii, man. It's to me one of the best places on earth. But um, I know you also talked about using a home equity line of credit to purchase a 10 unit building in Missouri with less than 6% down. And I know that that's a really great strategy because there's definitely people that already have experience, but there's a lot of people that are looking for ways to get into real estate and especially looking at what a 10 unit might cost in Missouri versus a 10 unit in San Diego, it could be a lot more of an affordable market. So talk a little bit about the strategy because I know people are sometimes scared to tap into home equity, but especially now with the rates, man, it's a great way to pull out some cash and use that as a down payment to buy something that's gonna not only pay the debt service down on what you borrowed, but also bring you in some cash flow for the next you know, five, 10, 15 years and build you up some equity. Yeah, I mean, a home equity line of credit is, is essentially a very similar process to a refinance. In a refinance, you can pull some cash out of your loan and you pay back the mortgage. Uh, HELOC is basically taking out a, a loan or a line of credit that you can you can use whenever you want. So the main difference is with a refinance, you got the money out and you're paying the percentage down on the mortgage no matter what. Uh, with a home equity line of credit, you open it and you can you can use up to that amount of money. And then as you pay it down, you can reuse it. So it's like just a revolving door of credit. Um, they usually have a little bit higher rates than say a mortgage or whatever, but they're not terrible. Uh, and, and I mean, there's a couple different ways you can pull them. Honestly, a friend of mine posted the other day saying, and he made kind of a valid point. I don't think that this is going to happen, but in a worst case scenario, if people made a run on the banks because they're freaking out about all this mess, if you had a home equity line of credit and you pulled all the cash out and had it sitting in your bank account, yeah, you'd be paying money on it, but you'd have the cash sitting around. And then, you know, if 
which would be the same as a refinance, except if that doesn't happen, you could just put the cash back into it and you're done paying interest on it. Um, with a refinance, you can't just like, oh, hey, I mean, I guess you can pay the principal down, but your rate is still going to be the same. So, uh, you know, but that conversely, like you'd want to make sure your HELOC isn't something the bank can just shut on you because there are banks that can say like, oh, hey, and closed. You owe us, you know, do, do on whatever. So make sure that's not in there. Uh, home equity line of credit is great. If you have equity in your home, you know, which means if you use a VA loan, you don't, at least not right now. But uh, if you have equity in your home, and then you can utilize that to buy other assets. So we had equity in our primary residence. I pulled some of it out as a home equity line of credit. And I found this 10 plex that the numbers worked on. The guy was willing to sell or finance 10% of it. The bank was willing to bring like 84, 85% of the purchase. And so I only had to pay 6% down, which is like 10,900. And I paid for it with the home equity line of credit, just wrote a check. And I mean, technically I wrote the check to my personal or to my business checking account and then wrote a money order from that so that it came out of my checking account, but you know, whatever. And then uh, a year and a half later, I refinanced. I paid off my original down payment and the seller financing. And now I'm at, I don't know, 80, 85% uh, loan to value from the bank, no other loan on it. And I've got like $60,000 in equity. So sick. yeah, it worked out. What kind of numbers are you looking at that 10 unit as far as, uh, you know, cash flow expenses, occupancy, it's it's a it's probably a C class property, so my expenses are a little high. It's it's old, so it's uh, it's not submetered. So I pay a lot of utilities. I'm I'm getting some, they call them rubs, like ratio utility billing system, where I have the tenants pay a portion of it. So that's slowly starting to work with me. But I mean, I still probably pay, I don't know, a thousand dollars a month in uh, utilities, which is which is high. But after it's all said and done, I make somewhere between a thousand fifteen hundred, depending on expenses. It's it's a pretty high expense uh, ratio for that property. Uh, part of that though, being that I have had some really weird, uh, like just flukes over the last year and a half. Like I had a guy drive the U-Haul into the roof cause he didn't know what he was doing backing up. I had a guy die and not have any family. So he like rotted till the rent was due and nobody realized that this dude was just rotten away in my apartment for three weeks in August. Um, so that was like a $5,000 renovation of the property plus you know, high, high industrial hygienist, professional cleaning plus environmental stuff. And then by the way, the furnace went out because it just been left untended for whatever, like on full blast. And, you know, it was like a seven or $8,000 expense on a unit that brings in $500 a month. Um, <laughs> but overall it's been very good. I mean, I've averaged about a thousand, fifteen hundred dollars a month in cash flow. So for putting less than 11 grand down, that's a hundred percent return every year on my cash. And I've built, like I said, 60000 in equity. Uh, my payment's now $200 less than when I originally went in on it. So we've cut expenses. We've raised income. So it's nothing crazy. Um, but, I mean, it's the same cash flow that my buddy's going to get on his million-dollar place, and it was a quarter of the price. It's a lot more headaches, but you know, and it's not going to appreciate the same, but it makes money. But that's eventually going to get paid down when those expenses are low when there's no mortgage on that. That's a great retirement property. Just that right there. You yeah. Retire from that in five, 10 years. That, that's awesome, man. Great job. Um, last thing before I let you go, I definitely want to hear more about uh, some of the, I see you have some, um, obviously you have a YouTube channel. You have a mastermind I was reading about. You have some online mm-hmm. courses. So, so talk a little bit about A, how do people find you? And then B, um, definitely something about your courses and a little bit about what you're doing with your mastermind. Yeah, you can find me at uh, really, if you Google military millionaire, I should pop right up uh, or from military to millionaire.com. 
Uh, and I'm, I mean, we've got Facebook group, Instagram, YouTube channel, whatever that all follow under that. Uh, a couple things going on right now. One is we're doing a veterans REI live, like a real estate conference for military veterans in St. Louis in May. Granted, given some of the current events, uh, it may end up being a virtual summit, but it's the first, we're excited. It's the first ever uh, like military, all veteran speakers, uh, real estate conference is going to talk about VA loan and all kinds of general strategies and really just bring the community together. It's going to be totally nonprofit. All the proceeds go to veteran charities. So it's pretty cool. Um, really cool to be a part of that. As far as uh, coaching, I mean, I have, I have, I do a lot of like free coach. I've got all kinds of free courses, free video courses, free, you know, content. The one course that I pay for is a whopping $97. And it's just everything you need, need to know to get into your first rental property. It's super undervalued. It's worth way more, but I'm not trying to make my money by charging for courses. I only have a price on it because people won't finish it if they don't pay for it. And there's just so much data to back that up. Just like our mastermind group. Our mastermind group is uh, super, super, super affordable. I pay, I mean, I'm in a mastermind group that cost me, I don't know, I got a discount. I think it's still seven times, seven times as much. And it's just enough to say, oh, hey, I'm actually committed to this group because I've done free mastermind groups and they always failed. So we did a really cheap one, but it's, it's all military guys. And, and now we have our first uh, female in the group. So guys and girls, all military, all real estate investors. And we do uh, weekly group calls uh, for the small groups. And then once a month, we bring in uh, an expert to really give like a high level on marketing or uh, this week, this month is going to be on risk mitigation and just just very uh, broad topics, but super dialed down and, and with a Q&A at the end. So when I brought my uh, accountants in, we got to have 30 minutes of question and answer about real estate specific tax questions, which is just super valuable. So just try to add as much value as possible and hold, you know, hold each other accountable. And man, it's crazy. Some of those guys in that group have, like there's a guy in the group who, I mean, legitimately has brought in, I want to say he increased his bottom line by like 10 grand a month through things. I mean, there's a couple guys in that group that have just like, it, it literally replaced their military income within the six months they've been in the group and they were already on track, but it's crazy. So there's some pretty cool people in the group, everything from Nick, the new guy to uh, we got a guy named Jeremy who has like 900 units under his belt. So that's so anyway. awesome, man. Good things. Yeah. Masterminds have been huge for me, but again, I paid for them, but they paid out in that for sure and value and stuff like that what you pay for man so this has been awesome man i really appreciate you doing this do you have any uh, final thoughts or anything before i let you go always tell people learn network and take action learn as much as you can about your your subject you want to get good at meet everybody in the business who's doing it and then go for it wise words from military to millionaire david parade thank you very much for your time thank you very much enjoy san diego Get some stuff for me and uh, let me know if there's anything I can do to help you. And I will definitely shoot you um, some of the jujitsu links. Uh, definitely as soon as we get off of that, I'll get it over to you today if you're interested. I'm totally interested. Right. Thanks, brother. I appreciate it. Have a great day, man. Thanks for having me. Take care. If you guys are getting anything from the podcast and some of the great knowledge and tips that the guests are sharing, please take a minute and leave a review on iTunes or any of your platforms with some stars and some comments, helping spread the promotion and spread some visibility for the podcast, for the guests, and for the knowledge so we can continue to do this. It'd only take a minute. I appreciate it. If you guys could take the time, it would go a very, very long way. Again, leave a review on iTunes, start to share, start to spread the word. I really would appreciate it if you're getting anything out of this. Thank you.